0: Hi everybody, thank you so much for checking out our podcast. If you'd like to know more about us or connect with us then please do go to our church website and we would love to get to know you some more. Here's today's message. We hope it blesses you, encourages and inspires you. Good morning, Uh, I'm Kimberly and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you to worship this morning. I'm going to read from... Uh, 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 to 29. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, The anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. And I pray that as we spend this time together this morning, that both the words that I speak and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts will be to your glory, amen. So this morning, we're continuing our sermon series on the theme Beloved, which Matt started last week. And I think there was some planning in Matt's head when he was setting up this series, that this is kind of an apposite time to be talking about the theme of love with Valentine's Day earlier this week. Our faithful friends group celebrated Valentine's Day with a party. And one of the things we did together was to look at some love hearts. If anyone doesn't know love hearts, it's like a little packet of sweets. They're, they're round, sherbety sweets. And they've each got a heart on them, and in the middle of the heart, some kind of slogan that supposedly tells us something about love. But as we shared these with the children, we, they were just uh, falling about laughing at these silly slogans which are on the love hearts. They range from the completely stupid to the totally absurd. And we were saying to the children that, The commercial image that Valentine's Day and that so much of our world portrays about love is often nothing like what the Bible tells us love is really like. In the Bible, there's nothing soppy or superficial about love. It's not about feelings or attractions. It's something which is much more powerful, active, resistant, alive, One of the things I remember from wedding preparation, which is going back a few years now, is the minister pointing out that the question people get asked when they get married is not, do you love this person who you want to marry, but actually, will you love them? Which, the minister said, is a very different question. Here we're talking about love not as a feeling, but as an attitude, a commitment, a deliberate choice. Life presents us with a lot of choices. We are constantly choosing. We choose whether to get up where the alarm clock goes in the morning. We choose what we do, what to say, what we eat. Eventually, whether to stay up late or go to bed. Little things and big things, important things and trivial. We might not even notice sometimes the choices that we are making. It can be easy to get swept along with routine or social expectations. You might call it the path of least resistance. But In this letter, John wants his readers to understand that when we live for God, we need to make intentional choices. We need to choose carefully how we love and what we love, because not everything we choose would be life-giving. It may seem confusing at first that John tells his readers not to love the world or the things of the world. God made the world, Right? He said it was very good. God has created every good thing and delights to provide for us abundantly and give us joy. God gave us capacity for relationships with the people around us. What's not to love? Why does John tell us then that loving the things of this world prevents us from loving the Father? Well, firstly, because for John, the love of relationship which supremely matters above all others is our relationship with our Father God. And this is so important that John urges his readers not only to actively pursue this love, but also to resist anything that might get in the way. As children of God, we're called to set our hearts towards God, to give him the central place in our lives. So other things, even if they're good things, could become bad for us if we let them become what we're aiming for if we let them become our measure of success, if we allow ourselves to be motivated by something like material gain or other people's good opinion, we could risk sidelining God. The message translation of this passage says, love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. It reminds me of when Jesus was teaching about money. He said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money eventually one will crowd the other out. We may think we can have everything, loving God and loving what the world has to offer, but in reality, only one will really captivate our attention and guide our path. Also, I think John is pointing out to us that not everything in the world is as good as it might look. Society has a habit of trying to sell us things, trying to convince us that glamour, romance, consumer material things have the, peer, have the power to bring us happiness. John lists some of the things which have the potential to pull us away from our loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's been pointed out that the things that John mentions here are pretty similar to the things that tempted Eve and Adam to disobey God, eating the apple in the Garden of Eden. It's the things which gratify our appetites or desires, Things which look superficially appealing. Things which seem to promise us greater prestige or status. It seems human nature didn't change much between creation and the first century. And I think probably if we look around us, we could safely say it's not much changed from then until today. The thing is though, although our TV screens, magazines, social media, try to dazzle us with images of beauty and power and success. I don't think we have to look too far, really, to see that people who make power, popularity or wealth their goal are liable to find these things crumbling down around them. Maybe we ourselves may have experienced something of that in our own lives. Have there been times when we've tried relying on ourselves on what we can own or what we can earn to carry us through, but found these things ultimately can't support the weight of all we need to rest on them and can never wholly give us the security we're seeking. The incredible news of our faith is that there's an amazing life-giving alternative to struggling through on our own if we resist orientating our lives towards gaining what the world has to offer, if we can loosen our grip on the things that we have and enjoy and actively choose day by day to direct our love towards God and what God asks of us, we will find that we can rest fully on this love and find true security that will last even for eternity. Throughout this whole letter of John, his attention is to assure his readers that we can all know and be confident that God is love and that we are loved by God. Here in this part of the letter, he particularly warns them not to be turned away from this love by those who would confuse or mislead them. It seems that a group of people that John calls antichrists were causing trouble for the early Christians in this church community. It's not fully known who these people were or what they stood for, but what seems clear is they were opposed to Christ. As he said earlier, in some ways not much has changed between the world that John was writing in and our own. We might also recognise this situation. John speaks of living in the last hour, and if we understand this to be at the time between Christ's um, resurrection and ascension and the time of his coming in glory, that that's the time when we're still living in. We are still living in the middle. We still hold the gospel like treasure in clay jars in a world where people still oppose and persecute the followers of Christ. Here in the UK, we're mercifully unlikely to face the kind of violence and persecution which is still a reality for many Christians around the world. But we probably do encounter people who counter the gospel in more subtle ways, suggesting a different narrative. Perhaps you've encountered people in our society who are not wholly against Jesus. Maybe they think he sounds like quite a good guy, a wise teacher, a kind man, maybe a prophet. Surely not God. John wants his readers to resist any such ideas because he believes that the whole truth about God's love cannot be understood without knowing both the Father and the Son. This is the truth which is at the very heart of the Gospel, that God is love, that the loving character of God the Father is made known to us fully through God the Son, who came personally to participate in the life of the world he loved and ultimately to follow the path of love all the way to the cross, to bring us back to love, to restore that loving relationship, which has been God's eternal purpose for all people. This is John's testimony, but he wants to make it clear that we don't just have to take his word for it. Each person in that congregation listening to John's letter, each one of us here today can know for ourselves the assurance of God's love through the anointing presence of the Holy Spirit, through which we can have insight into the truth. Christianity is not an autocracy or an oligarchy where a privileged few claim the right to interpret truth for the masses and we all just have to agree. We may learn from and be influenced by people like John who walk before us and by people who walk alongside us in our faith, but ultimately, we are all invited into our own relationship with God. Each one of us is a loved son or daughter. We each can know God personally as our father. In this family, there are no grandchildren, no nephews and nieces or cousins three times removed. We are all the child of God. God is keen to remind, uh, John is keen to remind his readers that they can depend on their own conviction and understanding and the witness of the Holy Spirit in their own lives. In the light of this, it interests me that John tells his readers to make sure that they hold fast to what they heard from the beginning. Does John think that as Christians, we should never change our mind about anything? Does he think we should never hold different opinions from our Christian brothers and sisters? The Church of God is wide and varied in its theology and practice. Christian thought has advanced over the centuries as a result of ongoing conversations and discernment. For me personally, my Christian journey has meandered through a variety of church traditions, and I think I'm the richer for it. My views on a range of topics have changed over time. And I imagine we'll keep on changing. One of the exciting things about working here in this community over the last few months has been meeting people from different backgrounds, different places in the world, different life experiences. And it's reminded me again that so when we encounter other people, when we really listen, there's a potential that these encounters may change ourselves. It seems to me that if God is alive and dynamic and moving and working in our lives, the way we respond to God must also change. It cannot remain static, holding rigidly to certain ideas or practices. It needs to grow and evolve over the time we live out the daily activity of loving. Surely this is what discipleship is. Working through experience, dialogue, the guidance of the Spirit, and growing our faith, finding out for ourselves what the kingdom of God looks like in our place and time. So what is John saying here? Maybe not that our faith should stay still, or that we should agree with everyone about everything, but rather that whatever else we believe in or stand for, we must never lose sight of what's really fundamental. This I think is nicely illustrated in the uh, church values of this church, keeping Jesus central, loving one another, being devoted. If our understanding of the fullness of God's love demonstrated through the Father and the Son, gives us our identity as God's children. Whatever differences we might have, this still holds us together as family. I can look back on my childhood, and I might have changed my mind about all sorts of things since then, but I remember that what made me want to be in the family of God was the love and grace of God. And because I still know that grace and love, I still have that identity. Towards the end of the passage we've read, John speaks to his readers as little children, reinforcing this sense of our lifelong identity as loved children of God. And he urges us to live out this identity by continuing in Jesus. Or alternatively, in another translation, the verse says, abiding in him. I kind of like that we have these two words, both continuing and abiding. Because it seems to me to underline two aspects of what John has been talking about. On the one hand, we know that we are loved and can abide in love, like Paul's image of being at home in the Lord. But at the same time, we're called to choose to actively follow the course of love, to continue in this commitment to loving God and the people around us. I think there's the idea that being loved leads us to choose to be love, to be loving. Having security in God's love frees us to put it into practice. The Bible tells us that perfect love drives out fear. It frees us to take risks. It frees us to go out there and be the people of God. John summarizes this elsewhere in his letter saying, we love because God first loved us. As John comes to the close of this chapter, he goes on to speaking about doing what is right. Saying that because Jesus is righteous, therefore as children born into his family, we should naturally want to follow in his path of love and take that love out into the world. This is loving the world in a very different sense. Not wanting the things of the world, wanting to take them for ourselves and our own enjoyment but rather giving of ourselves to the world, an outpouring kind of love, the love that was modeled by Jesus. To love like Jesus loved is a pretty tall order. And even to take the smallest steps in this direction is surely going to give us a massive challenge. How can we manage to resist the things which want to pull us away and put love into practice? I guess once again, the answer is love. We must turn to the love of God. If it is true, as the Message Translation suggests, that love of the world squeezes out love of the Father, maybe we should try it the other way round. Maybe the more we let ourselves be filled with the love of God by spending time with him, putting our trust in him, sharing his word, maybe the less space there might be So that in the end the things that get squeezed out are things like selfishness, pride or fear that try to orient us to this world instead of to God. I wonder if there are glimpses of this in our life. I wonder what it looks like in your life and mine to put love into practice. Could it be where we take a stand for what's right rather than what's easy? Could it be when we're quick to share and welcome, and give what we have to others? Could it be when we encounter people who are different without fear, and accept people as children of God? In the end, the fruit of our lives is God's responsibility. This is his work. Our task and our privilege is to abide To live in him day by day, hoping that in the end, we might start to reflect his love more fully in our lives and it might start to rub off on the people around us. So my prayer for us all is that we would know this sense of abiding, that we would trust fully in God and allow ourselves to be renewed and recreated by his love for his love so that we might live as those beloved children for all the days of our lives. Amen.